Well, good morning, everyone. I was noticing as I was sitting down there that this thing is so old, it's actually got cobwebs <laughs> on the bottom of it here. It's quite a bit lower than the other one as well. I feel. It's crouched down a little. It's interesting though, isn't it? You know, this was uh, in the church uh, many, 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 many years ago when we've obviously had our flashier new Perspex lectern over the years and that one's broken. In fact, it broke a while ago, the base broke a while ago and now the, the whole thing's fallen apart. But this old thing has stood firm through the years, hasn't it? They don't make them like they used to. I think that's the, the saying. And I was just reflecting this morning on, on what I'd prepared for today. And really, the topic this morning is about standing firm. <coughs> and I thought, oh, how interesting that we've, I'm preaching from this old lectern that has stood firm through all the years. It's still with us. So, we are in Philippians, as Steve said, and if you've got your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Philippians, um, it's in the New Testament, you should know that by now. If you've hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Um, and we've arrived at chapter 4, the last chapter in the book, at last, the end is nigh. Uh, believe it or not, this is our 15th week, as Steve said earlier, so by now you should all be um, experts on this letter. Um, in a couple of weeks, when we finish the series, we're going to have our end-of-term test, um, <laughs> just to check you've retained all that knowledge. Um, it's essay-style questions. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's um, multiple choice. Um, but in all seriousness, we are, we are wrapping up now. We are winding down with this, this book. Paul is wrapping up. In a few minutes, he's going to invite the band back up for a final song. And um, really, this is where we need to, to pay attention, because these are Paul's closing thoughts. This is the message that he wants to leave the Philippians with. And every um, good preacher knows that the best time to get your message across is at the start and the end of the talk. People tend to drift off somewhere in the middle. I've seen you. I know it's the case. And so, here we are in chapter 4, and it begins this way. He says, Therefore... My brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And so we begin really with a, with a therefore. And so we know that everything that Paul is about to say to us in these next few verses um, relates directly back to what he's just finished talking about in chapter 3. And if you cast your minds back to last week, you'll remember that Paul is encouraging the Philippians to walk the narrow path, to keep their hearts and their eyes and their minds focused on the things of heaven rather than the things of earth. He writes in Philippians 3 verse 17, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And he carries on. For as often as I've told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. And the key idea in this passage, the key thing that Paul is getting across, is that we need 
to hold on to our identity in Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, is the way that he puts it to the Philippians. And it's an idea that he's been weaving into this letter really um, from the very beginning. In chapter 1, verse 1, he calls them God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Not the Philippians who believe in Jesus, but God's holy people who just happen to be at Philippi. You are God's first. You belong to him You are a citizen of heaven, regardless of where you come from. And he develops this idea throughout the letter. In verse 127, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you might remember from week five um, that the word Paul uses here for conduct in the Greek means to behave as a citizen, to act in accordance with your birthright, because once we know our home, we adjust our behavior accordingly. And Steve reminded us last week that Philippi, although it was located in Greece, was actually a Roman colony. In fact, if you were to visit the ruins today, you can still find stones with Latin inscriptions on rather than Greek. There's one such um, example. I'm not sure what it says exactly. Although at the bottom it just says lad. So, who knows. Um, But they, they spoke Latin. They dressed as they did in Italy. They wore the fashions of Rome. They ate as Romans did. And as you entered into Philippi itself, it was like being in Rome. There was no mistaking it. I wasn't here um, last week because we took uh, the family away to Legoland. And much like any theme park, they have different areas. So you've got a, a medieval section and a space section and a Viking section and all the rest of it. And you can always tell where you are just by looking around. You know, if there's a Lego dragon and a Lego knight and a Lego castle, you're in the medieval area. And the point that Paul is making is that our citizenship should be obvious to the rest of the world. The attitudes that we demonstrate to each other, our words and our actions, should make it clear to other people who it is that we belong to. And so throughout the letter, Paul gives us all sorts of practical examples, all sorts of ways in which we can create this environment so that people recognize us as citizens of heaven. He talks about us being like-minded. He says, don't act selfishly, but put the interests of others first. He tells us not to grumble or argue, but to rejoice in the Lord. He says that we are to live up to what we've already attained, to hold on to our identity in Christ. And so as we come to chapter 4 this morning, and he starts with this, therefore, it's, it's a therefore, because you are a citizen of heaven, because you, this is only your temporary assignment, you don't belong here, you have another home, because Jesus is coming back, you are to stand firm in the Lord. You are to remain in him. And so, in fact, actually in verse 1 here, did you notice he calls them his joy and his crown? And the crown that that Paul is describing here, it isn't a sort of um, royal crown that would be worn by a king or royalty, but rather it's a crown that's given to an athlete as they complete a race. That's the word he uses. And again, it's an idea that Paul has already spoken about. 
in this letter. In chapter 2, verse 16, he says, You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the words of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. You see, the Philippians themselves were Paul's crown. His reward was seeing them again on the day of the Lord. His heart, his desire, his hope for them is that they would make it to the end of their lives still in love with Jesus. And I think that's our challenge this morning. That's the challenge I want to put before you. Are we still in love with Jesus? Are we going to make it to the end of the race? Are we going to hold on to our citizenship in heaven and our identity in Christ? Because you know, there are a lot of things that can get us off track, right? There's a lot of things that can take us away from God, can distract us on our journey. A couple of um, quick examples for you this morning from my own journey. Firstly, sin. You know, that old enemy. It's not a popular word today, sin, because I think we're not very good at taking ownership over the things that we do wrong. Hello. I'm just going to pause awkwardly. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) God? No. No, no. <laughs> I don't think we're very good at taking ownership over the things that we do wrong sometimes. We make excuses for ourselves and, and others. We say, you know, I can't help myself. It's just a, a problem that I have. Or we say, well, everybody else is doing it, you know, so it's probably fine. Or, you know, it's not that bad. No one's getting hurt. But actually, it's not fine. And we're the ones that are getting hurt because our sin, it moves us away from God. We lose our identity. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know, of course, we all mess up from time to time. We're, We're only human, but our sin should drive us back to repentance. It should bring us back to the cross. It should help us realize, again, that need that we have for salvation. But when we allow it to remain, when we tolerate it in our lives, when we don't throw it off, as it says here, we quickly find that our relationship with God takes a back seat. And our love grows cold. We don't like being in church anymore because we feel like a fraud and we become reluctant to read our Bible and pray. And before we know it, we're no longer longer running that race that we began all those years ago. Another thing that can get us off course is um, discouragement or disappointment. I know there are times when life just feels like nothing but discouragement and disappointment. It's like things are hitting us from the left and the right and we just wonder how it is that we're supposed to carry on. And as the problems grow larger and we focus more and more on the issues at hand, we take our eyes off of Jesus. We stop pursuing God. It makes me think of Peter as he steps out of the boat to follow Jesus, but as the wind and the waves rise around him, he takes his eyes off Jesus and starts to drown. Something else that that takes us off course, I think, sometimes is just busyness. You know, this seems to be the reality for more and more people today. We are working ourselves to death. We are prioritizing our schedules rather than scheduling our priorities. We allow our weeks to fill up with so much stuff that there's no time left for God. 
He's just pushed aside. And we find ourselves exhausting. We become exhausted on things that have no spiritual value whatsoever. Sometimes it's just apathy or affluence. You know, in our comfort and wealth, we can allow ourselves to become self-reliant, looking out for number one, our own needs, our own little bubble. We think as long as my needs are met, everything will be fine. And there are many other things as well. Misplaced affections, doubts, fears, religion and ritual. All of these things can send us off course and Paul knows this and so he tells the Philippians, guys, you need to stand firm. You need to stay the course. You need to remain until the end. In fact, he gives the same advice to Timothy. Remember he sent Timothy um, to the Philippians. We read it a few weeks ago. He says to him, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, we're to stand firm. But Paul gives us four practical ways in which we can do this. He doesn't just tell us to stand firm and walk away. He helps us out. He gives us some things that we can do that will help. And these are them here. First, he says we need to watch our relationships with others. Secondly, he says we need to watch our relationships with Jesus. Thirdly, we need to watch our unseen thoughts. And fourthly, we need to watch the lives of other believers. So I'm just going to unpack um, these for you this morning and show you where we see them in this passage here. Firstly, we need to watch our relationships, and particularly our relationships with other believers. One of Paul's key points through this letter is that as a Christian community, we should be unified. We should be together. There should be unity amongst us. He says things like, stand firm in the one spirit. Strive together for the, as one for the faith in the gospel. Be like-minded. Have the same love. But here in chapter 4, Paul makes a personal appeal for the unity of two particular Christians. Two women, in fact, called Euoda and Sintage. This is what he writes to them. I plead with Euoda and I plead with Sintage to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I think you've, um, I think you've got to really feel for these two women. You know, they have this like one argument, this one time, and it's written in the Bible and then forevermore, people are talking about it on a Sunday morning, bringing it up. I just wonder if they're in heaven looking down, going, oh my goodness, they're still talking about that argument. It was 2,000 years ago. Let it go. And what's more frustrating is Paul doesn't tell us what the argument's about. There's no juicy gossip here. There's no detail for us. Maybe Paul wasn't into gossip. He does tell us a few things about them, though. He says that they contended at his side for the cause of the gospel. In other words, they worked with Paul, shoulder to shoulder. It's possible they were instrumental in founding the church in Philippi, that they had leadership roles in the church while Paul was with them, and then now again in his absence. In fact, Paul might be making a personal appeal to these two because he knows that their disunity will have an impact on the whole church. 
He also talks about their names being in the book of life. He knew that they were saved. He knew that they believed in Jesus, that they loved Jesus. They had a lot going for them. But right now, there was disagreement and disharmony, and it had the potential to be destructive. And Paul was only too aware of the potential impact. He himself had been the source of dispute in the past. If you know your um, book of Acts well, you will know that one of Paul's early partners was a guy called Barnabas. Um, Joseph was his real name, but he was nicknamed Barnabas because he was such a good encourager. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And Barnabas, he stuck up for Paul in the early days. He defended him when people were still afraid of him, and he became his traveling partner. They went out on the mission field together, along with Barnabas's cousin, a guy called John Mark. And they planted churches together, and they did many wonderful things. They had adventures together for the sake of the gospel. But then in Acts 15, and we read this account. It says, some time later... Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued it in the work. And then it says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. It's sad, isn't it? We don't really know whether they made up after this. Um, it doesn't tell us. Later on, Paul in, in Colossians and 2 Timothy does talk about Mark very warmly, calling him a help to his ministry. And I just wonder if he'd look back on the events um, around this with a certain amount of regret and wanted to try and fix the situation by mending his relationship with Mark. But the point is that, that none of us are immune from disagreements and falling out. Christian or no. The only difference is that as Christians, we have a responsibility to do something about it. We actually have to fix it. We have to remind ourselves that we're citizens of heaven first. And Jesus, he anticipates this behavior in us. He knows what we're like. And so he highlights the importance of resolving issues quickly. Matthew records Jesus saying this, "'You have heard it said to the people long ago, "'You shall not murder.'" And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the courts. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Um, Raka is a reference to an Aramaic word that means empty-headed. And he carries on. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. So, I mean, hopefully we can all agree that murder is bad. But Jesus says that murder is a symptom of an attitude of heart that sets itself up against another and refuses to move. It begins in here, right? And so he gives this picture of someone at worship, someone who's trying to bring honor and praise to God and suddenly remembers someone he has hurt, or she has hurt. I don't know if you've ever been in church or at worship and you've suddenly had come to your mind an argument or a problem that you've had with a neighbor or a friend or a family member. I certainly have. And Jesus says, go and sort it out. 
fix it. Because, you know, living in harmony is more important than you offering praise. If you've messed up with someone, you have a responsibility to do something about it. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus talks about what to do if someone has fallen out with you. This is what he says. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're the offended or the offendee. It's up to us to make it right. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. And in fact, if you're neither, if you're just a bystander, he still doesn't let us off the hook. He says if they won't listen, take one or two others along so that everyone may, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Help each other. Help each other to resolve these disagreements that you have. And I think this might be where we've arrived in Philippians 4, because Paul is asking his true companion here to help, to step in and help these women resolve their differences. Because, you know, when, when people fall out, and particularly when this happens in a close community like the church, the division, it only grows. People take sides. They feed the anger and they feed the frustration. No, 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 you're right. You've got every right to be angry. Yeah, well, if they'd done that to me, I'd be doing exactly, I'd be doing worse, actually. No, 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 I'm on your side. I'll stick up for you. And you see, the division grows. And either the unity in the church suffers or one party is pushed out. And either way, the gospel is damaged. You see, I think Paul doesn't mention what the disagreement's about because I don't think it matters. What I think matters is that these two women come back together before the church suffers or one of them walks away for good. Actually, either way, the church suffers. So we need to watch our relationships with each other carefully. We need to resolve things quickly. That's the first way that we can stand firm. The second thing that we can do to stand firm is to watch our relationship with Jesus. We need to make sure that we're investing time and energy into our relationship with him. In September, I will have been married to my wife for 12 years. Yeah. And I'm pleased to tell you this morning that I am still completely and utterly in love with my wife. She's a joy, absolute joy to me. She's my best friend, and there is no one in the world that I would rather spend time with. I'm happiest when we get to go away together um, and take the kids most of the time, um, <laughs> like we did last weekend, and just spend time together. Because, you know, there are periods in our life where we get very busy, and we get distracted, and we fail to make enough time for each other, and we don't invest in the relationship like we should, and we prioritise other things, and that's where problems start. That's where we snip and argue and fight uh, as we shouldn't, and we become absorbed in our own little worlds, and things start to go wrong. And what I've noticed is that it's the same with my relationship with God. If I don't invest in it, if I allow other things to take over, it suffers. And Paul goes on to tell the Philippians this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. Enjoy him. Spend time together. Paul actually uses um, the word rejoice in this letter 16 times, which is quite impressive for a guy who's currently chained to a dude waiting trial to be executed. Now, you might have imagined that he'd have written a letter more similar to Lamentations, Um, If you're new to the Bible, please don't start with lamentation. (laughs) It's really bad. I mean, rough. It's not bad. It's God's word. Sorry, Lord. Um, But, you you know, Paul, even in the midst of trouble and difficulties, even in the midst of trouble and difficulties, there were opportunities for him to rejoice in God. You might remember in chapter one, he says, yeah, guys, you know, I'm in chains. But now the guards know about Jesus, and the gospel is continuing to spread. That was a paraphrase. Um, Paul was a silver lining kind of guy. He refused to let the hardships of his life distract him from the joy of knowing Jesus. The message paraphrase says it this way. It says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. How well do we do that? a challenge, isn't it? What is God doing in your life now, today, that you are excited about? Put your hands up. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What plans have you made together? What blessings have you seen in your life recently? What reason do you have for praise? You know, the prophet Nehemiah, he says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's the thing that keeps us going. And if we allow ourselves to see trouble and hardship and nothing else, we'll quickly fall away. At the end of verse 4, Paul reminds the Philippians that the Lord is near. He says, don't be anxious, but instead pray in every situation. When things are going well and when things are going bad, pray. Make your requests to God. Spend time with him. And Paul wants us to move away from the things that cripple us our fears and our worries, our despair and our hopelessness, and instead turn to Jesus. As Peter would later write, cast your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Or as I used to sing in Sunday school, cast your burdens unto Jesus, for he cares. No, just me. Sort of really hoping that would start something, but never mind. You know, the thing is, as we learn to more and more to trust him, we're told that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts, guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. As we bring our anxieties and our worries and we leave them with him, and that's the key, isn't it? Leaving them with him. He gives us his peace in return. It's a a pretty good exchange. I remember when I was in primary school, I swapped my fire truck for a Ninja Turtle sticker album. It was the worst trade I've ever made. I still regret it to this day. I still think about it. I really wish I could get my fire truck back. I don't know why I did it. I immediately regretted it. And um, me and Anthony aren't friends anymore. Um, (laughs) But, you know, sometimes it's like therapy up here. (laughs) (laughs) This is the sort of exchange that you'll never look back and regret. That's the point I'm making Mark Twain is quoted as saying, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. 
We need to learn to let go and give it to God, not to hold on to the things that will ultimately pull us away from him. So we need to watch our relationship with each other, our relationship with Jesus, but we also need to watch our unseen thoughts. Jonathan Edwards once said that the ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. The way we act and behave depends on what is inside of us. Jesus himself said what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. It all begins in here, in our hearts and minds. So how do we make sure that what's in here is good? You might have heard the phrase, you are what you eat. Paul wants to remind us that when it comes to standing firm, it's not what we eat, but it's what we think. It's what we put into ourselves. So he goes on to say in verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about them. Dwell on them. I think this is hard. I think this is really hard because these are not the sort of words I would use to describe a lot of what I see day to day. You know, when I turn on the news in the morning, it tends to be about lies and injustice and people behaving dishonorably. Instead of being pure and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy, it's impure and violent and shoddy and disreputable. Although this week we did have the rescue, didn't we, of the 12 boys from the Thai cave, which was indeed excellent and praiseworthy. But generally, I think these things are few and far between. They're hard to find. Sometimes we have to work really hard to find good news. You know, even in the entertainment we consume, it's base and it's lowly. The use of pornography continues to rise. The most popular pornographic website currently attracts 81 million users a day. 81 million a day. It's not that you have to go online to find this stuff. Most of the shows we watch today are full of sex and violence. Our technology allows us a constant stream of information from social media. It keeps us up to date with what people are eating for dinner, their parties, their holidays, their purchases, their arguments, their political stances, their disappointment in the England football team. (laughs) We can read article after article on everything from the state of the economy to which Harry Potter character we should marry. You know, we can waste hours and hours watching videos of people talking about themselves or what makeup to buy or how to style your hair or how to burst a spot or how to bounce a ping pong ball in an interesting way. What would happen if you filled your swimming pool with jelly? (sighs) Who cares? You know, clickbait is everywhere, isn't it? You won't believe what happened next. This top tip will change your life. And you know, most of it's fine. Most of it's fine. It's a bit of fun. Obviously, you're not going to marry Snape. You know, it's a chance to, to switch your brain off. But you know, there's a danger that our heads become so full of nonsense that we forget to spend any time on the stuff that actually feeds us. Like God's word, <coughs> or worship, or prayer or listening to Christian speakers, or reading inspirational books. We need to remember that what we put in here is what comes out of us, ultimately. Paul writes uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
take captive every thought. We have a responsibility over our own minds to make sure we don't spend all of our time thinking about stuff that either has no value or stuff that ultimately is going to lead us away from Jesus. As I was thinking about this, I was trying to work out what was true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. The answer I came up with was Jesus. So maybe that's where we start. So we need to watch our relationships with each other, with God. We need to watch our thoughts. And finally, we need to watch um, the lives of other believers. If we want to stand firm, we need to make sure that we have good role models, right? People that we can look up to. Paul finishes this section by saying, Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the peace of God will be with you. And he holds himself up as an example. He says, it's not a case of uh, do as I say, not as I do, but do as I say and do as I do, Agadu. Let me show you how to live this Jesus lifestyle. Because, you know, I've been on this journey for a long time now, and I've learned some things along the way that can help you. I said at the start, you know, there's a lot of things that can take us off track on our Christian journey. It's a difficult race that we're running, but thankfully we're not running it on our own. We can support each other across the finish line. Some of you might remember this photo. It shows the British athlete Derek Redmond competing in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. And he was running the 400-meter semi-final. He was one of the favorites in the competition to win um, gold. And as he passes the 250 mark, he tore a hamstring and collapsed onto the track. And eventually pulls himself up and he carries on in absolute agony, limping in pain as everyone else runs off. And his father, pictured there, um, Jim, he runs out of the stands onto the track and holds him up and supports him all the way to the end of the race while 65,000 people cheer them on. If you've never seen the video, um, look it up on, on YouTube because it's one of the more admirable and praiseworthy things that you can find online. It will make you cry. But, you know, sometimes we need other people to help us across the finish line. Paul wasn't in a position where he could support them from house arrest. He couldn't go and help them, but that's why he sent Timothy and Epaphrodites, as we read about a few weeks ago. But he says, guys, you know, remember what I taught you. Keep living this life. Keep going with it. And the peace of God will guard you. He will be with you. You can do it. You can make it to the end. And so there we have it. That's Paul's advice on how to stand firm. Um, I'm just going to wrap up in a few minutes' time, but I wonder if the band would come and join me uh, while I wrap up. I'm just getting a bit lonely. So we need to remember this morning that we are citizens of heaven. Our identity is found in Christ and nothing and no one else. In Christ alone, my hope is found. I think it's how the old song goes. And in order to hold on to that truth, there are certain things that we need to do. If we're going to stand firm this morning, there are certain things that we need to make sure that we are doing. If we're going to be like this lectern, (laughs) and not the one that's broke. Firstly, we need to watch our relationship with each other. We need to resolve issues quickly. 
Don't let things fester and grow to the point where it becomes damaging to our witness. Be a peacemaker. Secondly, we need to watch our relationship with Jesus. Do we love him like we did? Do we rejoice in the Lord daily? Do we recognize all of the good things that he's placed in our life? Do we recognize that he's near? And pray to him in every situation, good or bad, or is it just that we're overwhelmed at the moment? Like we've taken our eyes off Jesus and focused instead on the hardships and the trials and the tough times. Because, you know, in as much as he wants us to be peacemakers with each other, he also wants to give us his peace. And I believe that this morning. Thirdly, we need to watch our thoughts. What are we filling our heads with throughout the week? Is it true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy? Or is it a constant stream of negativity and nonsense? Or worse? Have we got the balance right? Are we doing enough to feed ourselves? Are we spiritually healthy in that sense? And fourthly and finally, we need to watch other believers. Have we got good role models this morning? Are there people that we can call upon to help us across the finish line? Because, you know, it's okay to struggle. It's really okay to struggle as a Christian. That's fine. It's not okay to struggle on your own. God has placed us in community for a reason. Are there people that we know in this church this morning who might need us to step out of the stands and go and help them across the finish line? We're going to um, sing a song um, in just a minute or two, but this passage, I think, I found it hugely challenging looking at it this week and, and talking to you about it this morning. And I think there are responses that, that perhaps we need to make, maybe in our hearts, um, and certainly, practically, maybe this morning you just feel challenged that you're not in the right place in one of your relationships. That at the moment you're arguing or you're fighting or you've set yourself up against someone and actually when you leave here this morning you need to go and do something about that. You need to fix it. You maybe need to send a message or arrange a meeting or whatever you need to do. And perhaps this morning as we're singing this song for you it's just about making a commitment to do something about that relationship to be a peacemaker. Maybe for you it's your relationship with Jesus that's suffering at the moment. Maybe you know you've just been neglecting it. We have a responsibility for our own spiritual well-being. If you know that you're not in the right place with God at the moment, you're not giving him the time of day, then again this morning maybe you just need to make a commitment again, a recommitment to say, God, you know, I need to get back on track with you. And if this morning you want someone to stand with you and pray with you as you make that commitment, we're here to do that. You can just come to the front over here and someone will come and pray with you just while we're singing this final song. No one's going to pay you any mind at all. Maybe it's a case of you're aware that you're just filling your head with nonsense at the moment or maybe looking at stuff that you shouldn't be looking at. And again, I would just encourage you this morning, just make a commitment to what you're going to be feeding yourself with this week. And maybe it's just that you're aware of somebody else struggling or maybe you yourself are struggling and you feel like you've been struggling on your own for too long and you just can't keep going anymore again let someone know this morning it's okay to struggle it's not okay to struggle on your own we want to pray with you we want to stand with you and more than that we want to we want to help you across the finish line for as long as that takes
even if it means you have to hobble for a while with someone holding you. Can we do that for each other this morning? Would you stand with me? Let's just pray.